1: Hi everybody, I'm Kelly Evans and here's what's ahead. An ugly market, super ugly today as the hawkish Fed is followed by bad data on retail sales and manufacturing and even more. The disconnect between the Fed and the markets is growing, so who's got it right and how do you position we will tackle it all. Plus, we've had a ton of great news on the airline front lately, so why aren't investors buying it? We'll debate whether the market is too bearish and get some top picks for 2023. And Don Peebles called the carnage in office real estate, but he called it a big opportunity too. He joins us with an update as REITs remain a pressure point in the markets. And speaking of the markets, let's get a check on things. As we stand at 1 p.m. Eastern time, the Dow is pretty much at fresh session lows right now, down 886 points. That's a 2.6% drop. The S&P down similarly to 3887 and the Nasdaq down more than 3%. It's below 11,000. Now, yields are falling sharply as well. Take a look here at the t- uh, 10-year yield, 3.43%. So we're down almost 20 basis points uh, since the Fed and since the CPI. The 30-year, 346, and the two-year still way high here. You can see in terms of this inversion, 424. And that hawkishness is the issue here for markets. It's after pretty much every other piece of data other than jobless claims this morning came in worse than expected. And even the better jobless claims data is a quandary because the strong labor market is probably the main thing keeping the Fed in hawkish mindset right now. Let's get to more of it. Uh, our big theme of the day here, the markets versus the Fed. Who's got it right? Bob. Bob Bassani is at the New York Stock Exchange with a look at what's going on with stocks. And Steve Leisman's got a roundup of that data and central bank action. Bob, let's start with you.
2: Well, the, <clears throat> what's happening today is the soft landing crowd is having a horrible day because the economic data is awful. So remember, the soft landing crowd's thesis is we're not going to have a hard landing. Earnings will be flat to maybe slightly up in 2020. We'll avoid this earnings apocalypse, and things will be okay. The problem is the data isn't really going in their way, and now they have a valuation problem for the stock market. So look here. We have the Fed still higher for longer. That's an issue. But now we have the soft landing case is a lot harder to make because the economy looks like it's starting to weaken. So earnings right now, the important thing is how much do they need to drop? They're declining, but they need to drop more if the economy is really slowing down dramatically. The valuations, though, are still high. Believe it or not, the prices are still high right now. So this is what I call the valuation problem. So we see here the average 2023 earnings estimate for a strategist down 6%. That's a mild earnings recession. But the forward multiple is 19. Boy, that's expensive. Very rarely, Kelly, do you get over 18. It's only happened in the dot-com bust, and we saw it in 2017 and 2020. But most of the time, it's below 18. You've got to make an argument right now with these valuations that the economy is going to be a lot stronger in 2023. And you see the data today, that argument is just a lot harder to make. We've got a valuation problem right now.
1: So Bob, just to be clear, even with the market's big drop this year, it's still more highly valued than normal.
2: Yes. Uh, the, the, the strategists themselves are dropping the earnings estimates for 2023 down 6%. If you apply the numbers that they have for 2023 down 6%, the multiple on the S&P is about 19. Wow. That is way above historic average right now. Now, though analysts are a little more optimistic. That's a different group of people. They still have multiples. Uh, earnings estimates a little higher. But most people are following the big Wall Street strategists these days. They tend to pivot a lot more quickly and tend to be a little more accurate.
1: That's crazy that we're still up at 19 times by that basis. Bob, stay right there as we turn to Steve Leisman where we've had data, central bank action. Steve, uh, tell us what's happening with the down now down more than 900 points.
3: Well, it's this gap between the Fed and the market boils down to a sharp difference over what recent data say about the current state of the economy, Kelly, and especially inflation and where it's going. Here's a little bit of my take on what the market's saying versus what the Fed is saying. The market says recent inflation data show it's falling. The Fed says two months is not enough. Core inflation is still 6 percent year over year. I need substantially more evidence, Powell said. Markets saying the economy is weakening. Recession is likely, at least according to our Fed survey. Fed says, yeah, but the labor market's still hot. Wages are going to drive inflation. Uh, Morgan Stanley writing, the Fed chair sees the recent round of weak CPI prints differently than the market. Both October and November CPI prints were downside surprises to market expectations, but not so much for the Fed. You can see this disagreement between the market and the Fed in the 2023 outlook. Median forecast of Fed officials for the funds rate next year rising to 5.15%, it had been 4.6% in the September outlook. But Fed futures prices trading at 4.4% for year-end, that is cuts after a few more hikes. So the market sees the Fed en route to making another policy error by tightening too much and not taking account of low inflation and a weakening economy, and maybe those earnings coming down that Pisani was talking about. The Fed is fairly hell bent, I'd say at this point, on not making the last error by tightening too little and letting inflation continue to rip, Kelly. All
1: right, Steve, stick around as well. Where do we go from here, and how should investors position? Let's bring in two more voices. Peter Bukvar is Bleakly Financial Group CIO, and Andres Garcia Amaya is Zoe Financials CEO. And it's really good to have you guys both here. Peter, just jump uh, off of what Steve was just talking about, and um, and and what Bob mentioned as well. You know, the Dow's down more than nine hundred points right now. What's it going to take to quell the selling pressure?
4: Hi, Kelly. I I think today is a realization that while the Fed is almost done raising interest rates, whether they raise 50 or 75 is sort of irrelevant at this point. It's the point of keeping them elevated for a longer period of time. That is what is going to continue to slow growth. So even if they stopped raising rates yesterday, and that was the last hike, by maintaining this level, every month that goes by, there's someone that's having to refinance their debt at a much higher level than what what, what is maturing. And that is why I see more of a grinded out economy, a death by a thousand cuts economy, because rates are going to stay high for longer. And we should get off of how many more rate hikes are left and focus on, again, higher for longer.
1: Do I bail out of the stock market then, Andres? Go to the other side of the ledger and pick up, you know, 4% on a CD for a one year and see where we are in 12 months time?
5: One thing's for sure clear, which is the 60-40 didn't work this year. And I don't see the dynamics drastically changing next year, except maybe that bonds look more appealing than they did this year. So, yeah, the 60-40 doesn't work. You need some commodities exposure. You might even need some cash exposure, right? Uh, Last time I checked, I saw a 3% savings rate. That's unheard of for the last 15 years that uh, that type of hikes leading to higher savings rates. So, yeah, the world has changed. Doesn't mean sell stocks. It just means, you know what? Maybe we won't see all-time highs anytime soon.
1: Peter, why did the mood get so much worse after the ECB's press conference this morning?
4: Well, we saw a pretty sharp rise in European interest rates. Uh, Christine Lagarde said that they're going to be raising rates more than what the market anticipated. They laid out a plan for QT, uh, which will start in the second quarter. Uh, While it's going to start very slowly at only 15 billion euros a month, uh, it's likely going to pick up thereafter in Q3, Q4. So you saw 30 basis point increases in some European bonds. And uh, that's rather sharp. So I think it just reaffirms this global monetary tightening still has ways to play out. Bob,
2: what
1: are you hearing from traders? Do they want the Fed to stop hiking here? Do they want them to start cutting? What What do you hear?
2: Sure, look, 2022, the story was about inflation and figuring that out. 2023, everybody's obsessed with the recession. And what side of the recession debate are you on? So the soft landing crowd has had a lot of currency in the last few months. And that's why the stock market has lifted to the extent that today is about the soft landing crowd basically losing a lot of talking points that's a good reason why the market's down in addition to what peter was talking about on the uh, on the ecb so again you go back to this valuation question here they wanted to stop because they're very concerned the hard landing crowd is screaming really loudly and they're going to have more influence as uh, the more they see the economic data weaken
1: but you what know they what's they peculiar, speak? Steve, and it really, it's, it's like the best and the worst news right now, jobless claims, right? You know, here's the one data point that would tell us if the economy was worsening quickly right now, and it keeps holding up. And the longer it holds up, the more that means we're going to have wage pressures or decent jobs reports that are likely to keep the Fed from cutting substantially right now. As Michael Darda has said, that's probably going to be the main reason why they make a bigger policy mistake. No one's cheering for a worsening labor market, but it's a fascinating dichotomy. And that data point is probably the most important one of all.
3: You know what? Something that's interesting that I don't... Sorry. The Fed and the markets most most Steve, go ahead and then Andres will come
1: to you. Go ahead, Steve.
3: Okay. I'm having trouble right now keeping the... uh, the old Pete Seeger union song, which side are you, are you on out of my head right now? But uh, that, that said, uh, that's really the key right there, um, uh, Kelly, that the, it's the difference between the labor market, between the Fed and the market, over the outlook for the labor market. Powell has said repeatedly that he believes wages is going to drive that really important non-housing core services section of the CPI. And the idea being services are all about wages, that's what the cost structure is. And if labor markets remain tight, you're gonna keep driving up wages, that's gonna keep driving prices for something like 55% of the core. The market just disagrees with that and thinks that the labor market's gonna, if, if the market is gonna be right, it's gonna be right that the labor market's gonna come off fast and that's where the disagreement is.
5: All right, and what were you gonna say, Andres? Yeah, what I was saying is it's interesting that it's not part of the conversation, a scenario where we get a recession and by the end of next year, core CPI is at four and a half, right? What what happens then, right? Uh, Isn't the goal to get it to two to three? So we're kind of assuming all of a sudden that it's either recession or soft landing, but inflation hasn't gone to three, right? Like core CPI is still at 6%. So I don't think the conversation around inflation is going away anytime soon.
1: Well, speaking of which, let's show what Bill Ackman was tweeting about uh, in the case of where inflation really could be heading. Can we even get to 2%? Uh, Peter is 3% more likely. Here's what Bill Ackman said. He said, I don't think we can get 2% inflation without a deep job destroying recession and it won't be stable there. He said accepting 3% plus or minus inflation is a better strategy for a strong economy and job growth over the long term. What do you say, Peter?
4: Well, I I agree that it's gonna be tough to get it down to two structurally. Uh, I think three to four is where inflation is gonna be uh, eventually settling out. I disagree with him, though, that somehow 3% is a good thing. Inflation is a tax, and a 3% tax is worse than a 2% tax. So I only see trouble ahead if we settle in on a higher inflation rate because interest rates are going to stay higher for longer. And I think the consumer still drives this economy and a higher cost of living is not going to be good for them.
1: Right. But, Peter, and I I hate to even go here, but we're going to go here over the next year or so, I imagine, which would you rather have, a 3 percent tax with no job or a 2 percent tax with one?
4: Well, that's going to be this fine line that we're going to have to dance around. I think Bill's point was that somehow three percent was a good thing. And while I agree that we're, it's going to be tough to get to two, three uh, percent is what we might have to settle for. But that doesn't mean it's a good thing.
1: Andres, where, let's kind of boil this down then to what uh, tactically you would do here as the Fed faces this question about uh, pivoting or if so, how hard and how and when. What do you say? What's your advice?
5: Look, if you're in the camp that we're not totally out of the water and that inflation is going to take a little bit longer to get there, I think the value stock versus growth stock still works. I think having diversification around commodities still works and having some cash, uh, because I do think that we'll have good opportunities, right? We're not going to go straight to all time highs in this type of environment.
1: All right, Bob, what are you watching on the charts here as the sell off is rapidly approaching a thousand points?
2: 3,900 to 4,100. We have been in this range for the last month. Uh, We've had some strong inflation reports like the PPI that came in uh, and we held a 3,900. We are essentially there right now. We're 15 points below that. So we break below that. Uh, that's a bit of a warning sign technically. And also, we have not been able to get over 4,100. That's the point at which you break the downtrend we've been in all year. We've been in a, a trend of lower lows and lower highs all year. If we get over 4,100, you break the downtrend. People will say, aha, you see the, the soft landing crowd will say, Wall Street is signaling that we may get a soft or mild recession. And that argument is harder to make when you drift lower. And you get the kind of crummy economic data we got today. Sure.
1: 3884 is the S&P level right now. Steve, a final word to you. What would change Chair Powell's mind and you think and have him going, you know what, maybe it's time to take a bigger pause here.
3: I think if you had weak job growth, weak wage growth, that would be a big uh, uh, step in the right direction. Another couple good inflation reports I think the fed might be able to settle down on this four and a half to 475 raise i'll tell you what one thing that a a, a trader i talked to was really bothered by yesterday was the unanimity of this of the fomc in terms of the 17 of the 19 that see inflation sorry see the funds rate going above five percent a guy said to me look aren't is there anybody on the fomc who's looking at the bond market and has some sympathy with that attitude? It's not like the idea of the market is a crazy idea, huh. that maybe the Fed, maybe we're going to have a sharp recession. Why isn't anybody on the FMC sympathetic with that outlook? It'd be one thing if they were sort of a majority in favor, but this was 17 of 19 saying, we got to go up about 5% next year. Andres, and so it
1: looks like you agree with that.
5: Yeah, I mean, look, the the Fed does not... Care what the bond cares, what the bond market is, is signaling right now. Their biggest concern is inflation, and I think that is there's some miscommunication here. It's almost like I don't know if you've seen the movie, uh, you know, he's not that into you from the <laughs> early 2000s. I feel like the market's Gigi right now, <laughs> right? Just <laughs> misreading whatever the Fed's saying. The Fed's saying, look, guys, I don't actually care if the stock goes up or down. We need to crush inflation, and the market's like, ooh, maybe soft landing, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> So there's a miscommunication going on, and we'll see who wins out out of this one. I think the Fed, unfortunately, is going to win out of this one.
1: All right, we will leave it there. Guys, thank you all. Andres Garcia, Amaya, Peter Bukvar, Bob Bassani, and our Steve Leesman. Still ahead, it's been a rough week for airline stocks, despite bullish outlooks from a number of executives. We'll debate whether to own these stocks into 2023. Plus, will the Fed worsen the cracks emerging in commercial real estate? We'll ask real estate mogul Don Peebles coming up. And as we head to break, here's a look at the markets. Dow's down 921 points, S&P's down 112 to 3883. NASDAQ's the worst performer, down 3.4 percent in the 10-year, back to 343. The exchange is back after this Welcome back to The Exchange. The airline index is down 3% this week. I mean, a lot of things are down this week, but they have had bullish outlooks from Delta and United. Delta raised its guidance, United that massive order for at least 100 Boeing Dreamliners. In fact, United CEO Scott Kirby addressed the disconnect between stock performance and expectations with our Phil LeBeau earlier this week. Listen.
2: Investors have a hard time with two things. One, recession has to be bad for airlines. They just don't realize we're coming from such a depressed level. Uh, And then the second one is capacity and investors are worried about total industry capacity and probably will today uh, with United's order. But the reality is that the constraints on pilots, on aircraft manufacturers and air traffic control saturation means supply is going to be constrained, it is going to be challenged.
1: Well, my next guest is still bullish, and Delta and United are two of her top picks for 2023. Joining me now is Helene Becker, senior research analyst at Cowen. Welcome, Helene, and CNBC contributor Jeff Kilberg is here with me as well. It's great to have you, Jeff. Thanks, Kelly. And he is bullish on Boeing. We'll get into all of that in a second. Helene, let's start with you. What are investors afraid of here, recession?
8: Uh, Yes, in a word. um, I think Scott summed it up, recession and too much capacity. And our view is that the airlines are already in a recession. Um, They had about the worst thing that could ever happen to them occur, which is we were back to 1950s traffic levels. Traffic in April of 2020 was down 96%. And we've come back very strongly. One of the things that we point out, and we wrote a long report today in which we discuss it, um, is that. We're within five percentage points of 2019 traffic levels. And that is with business travel being down 20 percent year over three and international being down about 25 percent still. So in our view, we've come so far and yet the stocks are back to where they were in in 2020 to us, it seems like they're already anticipating a recession. Sure. And it's counterintuitive because normally airlines lag, and in this case, they've led.
1: Jeff Kilberg, what do you make? I mean, first of all, would you kind of be eager to pick up the airline stocks here? Do you share some of the, the market's hesitation?
9: There is a dislocation, Kelly, and absolutely, when you see a dislocation, you want to be a little adverse. But Boeing is a name, if you look technically, it's above its 50-day. It's above its 200-day. And if you actually look to own it, or if you're adverse to own it, look at the options market. If you sell that at the money put at $182, you are going to collect $10 just going out to the end of January. So there is a risk to the upside. I have a price target on Boeing at 210 But to walk away just for a second, I think I'd rather own Lockheed Martin. Hmm. Look on a year-to-date perspective. Lockheed Martin, which, of course, is all focused on defense, where you can argue Boeing's only 50%. It's about a 45% dispersion. So we are over-allocated to Lockheed Martin. I think that theme persists in 2023. But Boeing, we do like it here.
1: I mean, defense stocks have definitely been a bright spot this year, no question. If anything, you're reminding us that Boeing's defense exposure may be one of the things that's helping it right now and what's otherwise been a, a, a tough tape. Helene, some of the, you know, normally you'd think, okay if we're going into recession, that would favor, for instance, the discount carriers. Maybe consumers are a little bit more price sensitive, maybe even businesses. But right now, that's where we have the biggest questions about, you know, kind of nuts and bolts operations. Look at JetBlue, um, even Spirit. So what would you do? We, We know you like the top tier. I think, Jeff, you would be top tier as well. But what do you do with the rest of the field?
8: Yeah, we downgraded, a, uh, actually, we downgraded JetBlue and, and Allegiant, and we don't have a buy-on spirit. And our view there is that on, a, on the cost side of the equation, re, on a revenue, per, or rather cost percent change basis, their costs are going up much faster than those at U, of United and Delta and American. And, and you pointed out that those are our two top picks. And that's how we're thinking about it. We think the revenue growth is going to offset the cost pressure that those airlines are going to be affected with. But from the the consumer perspective, we're seeing a shift in mix in the way, and we're seeing a a change in the way people are traveling. So, what kind of change? I'm sorry. What kind of change? Um, In terms of mix shift and and the way they're traveling. We're, we're seeing people not necessarily live where they work anymore, but they still have to come back in the office. So there's this hybrid in, environment where they're back and forth, so they're traveling more than maybe they have in the past. And then in terms of mix shift, we think that as more international markets, especially in Asia-Pacific open, we are going to see an increase in, in demand for those markets as we did in Europe this year and, and, and in the U.S. earlier this year and last year. Sure, and it's fascinating, Jeff. You probably know a little bit about this yourself. I mean, a lot of people are trying to do this thing right now
1: where they say, okay, you know, maybe I don't have to be in as many days. I'm in some of the days. I'm traveling. I mean, they're almost living two lives. Feels like Tom
9: Brady threading the needle, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it is hard, but nonetheless, she brings up a great point. And that's where I think when, from a trading perspective, you really have to focus on the names. Look at the balance sheets. Look at Boeing, $14 billion in cash and cash equivalents. So I think you want to own names that are essential, our fortress balance sheets, and that makes sense moving forward as we kind of really recover from the pandemic and that traffic.
1: All right. And Jeff, we'll see you in a couple more minutes as we uh, continue to follow the market, get some other picks, but we'll leave it there for now with Jeff Kilberg, Helene, thanks for your time
8: today. Thanks for having
1: me. Helene Becker with the airlines. Coming up, Coinbase and a firm sinking to new all time lows, down nearly 90% this year. Are rising rates to blame for the collapse in crypto and fintech stocks? How could it not be? Well, I guess they're shooting themselves in the foot as well. Anyway, as we head to break, here's a look at the Dow heat map, and this will tell you about the market today. Only one name is in the green, and that's Verizon. Up three quarters of 1% today. Everybody else is lower. IBM, the laggard, down 4.7%, but Apple. Uh, In the next worst spot, Disney down there as well. We're down 935 points. The Exchange is back after this.
6: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
1: Welcome back to The Exchange. We have seen selling pressure intensify in the markets all session long. The Dow low is 950. We're 20 points off that right now. The Nasdaq, the worst performer, down 3.4%. So let's take a look at the mega cap names, which are all firmly in the red. We'll have more on this specific trade ahead. But you can see, for instance, uh, Apple, second worst performer in the Dow today, down 4.5%. Alphabet down almost 5%. Microsoft and Amazon down big, for at least for them, too. And Netflix is having its worst day since September on a Digiday report that they're returning money to advertisers after falling short of viewership guarantees. The stock on a day when the market is in a very bad mood is down nine and a half percent now back to 288 or so. And Roblox is getting slammed after they're showing a month on month drop in daily active users. They're also showing lower than expected growth year on year in bookings. These shares are down 73 percent since January and 17 percent just today. Finally, Tesla is actually one of the few outperformers in the Nasdaq today, but we're still talking about its lowest level since about November 2020. This after an SEC filing, as we know, showed that elon musk sold another 3.6 billion dollars worth of shares remember this spring he said he was done his yearly sales now this year are nearly 40 billion dollars the stock is down 55 percent since january and is about to close out its worst year ever as a public company interestingly enough up half a percent after all of that news today let's get to frank holland now for a cnbc news update frank
6: hey there kelly here's what's happening at this hour Three people have received lengthy prison sentences in their parts for their part in a plot to kidnap Michigan, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Their sentences range from seven years up to 12 years for, for providing material support for a terrorist act. Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker will be the next president of the NCAA. Baker will start that job in March after his term as governor ends. He'll be the first politician to lease college sports largest governing body. And in Washington, D.C., the ethics panel of the city's bar recommends former Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani be disbarred. The panel says he likely violated at least one professional conduct rule during his efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election results in Pennsylvania. Those findings are preliminary. Giuliani criticized them, calling the recommendation, quote, a personal attack. That's the very latest. Kelly, back over to you. All right,
1: Frank, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Up next, real estate mogul Don Peebles will join me with the winners and losers of this commercial real estate market and why he says the New York office market has permanently changed. Speaking of real estate, it's actually one of the best performing sectors today with this drop in yields. Names like Boston Properties holding up better than most of the market. Their decline about a two-thirds of 1%. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to the exchange. All S&P sectors are lower today, although real estate is actually one of the top performers. It's down only one and a half percent. One area in particular feeling the pain is commercial real estate. Right over in New York, offices are still less than 50 percent occupied. That's translating to the office REITs all down double digits this year. In some cases, NSL Green's case, down 51 percent. And while my next guest expects the pain to continue, he does see some opportunities. Don Peebles is the chairman and CEO of the Peebles Corp, a privately held investment and development company with residential and commercial properties in most U.S. cities. Don, it's great to see you again. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Colin.
1: Can you offer just a top level word about what you think is going on with markets and the economy right now as we uh, you're here on a a day when people are, are fretting quite a lot?
0: Well, look, I think that um, we've got a lot of worries about a recession coming in. Interest rates um, increasing has slowed the economy down significantly, and the concern is whether they go too far. What was encouraging yesterday was a 50 basis point increase as opposed to a 75 basis point increase. So I think we're slowing down, and I think the market will ultimately adjust um, in many sectors.
1: When you say adjust, how much more losses could we be facing in some of these commercial real estate uh, sectors?
0: Well, I think that the commercial office space marketplace has been hit by a double whammy. High rates and a recessionary environment, but also a change in the way people work. Americans are working differently. Uh, Remote work is here to stay. Um, Hybrid work is here to stay. And so there's a far less demand for office space. And that's putting a lot of pressure on REITs, for example, that have a large inventory of office space in markets like New York City and an older inventory because th- th- these markets are not created equally. Yeah. Uh, new office buildings are performing much better uh, than in older existing office buildings.
1: Let's say I'm in one of these funds. Maybe it's even gated now. You know, do I can they take my money and convert it into residential properties like we've seen in lower Manhattan, for instance? Uh, this was already happening over the past 10 years. Empty office space was becoming fancy new you know, uh, apartment space. And is that going to just happen across the country? And could that bailout? investors here?
0: Well, I think it can help um, in New York, but I think that what's happened is a value hit from a commercial office building that was performing properly prior to the pandemic. Uh, the valuations now are down 30, 40 percent and will go down further. And the exit is a conversion to office space for many of these buildings. And I think New York City and Washington, D.C., to a lesser degree, will be helped by that. Those are the two hardest hit markets in the country, uh, is New York City and Washington, hmm. D.C.
1: What's going to happen if some of these uh, funds do end up having to sell assets at you know distressed or even fire sale prices? It feels like that could still be another shoe to drop here.
0: Yes, it is. And I think that there'll be losses. I mean, any Any fund or any REIT that's heavily concentrated in commercial office space in the major U.S. markets, um, excluding, say, Texas and Florida, I think are in for a very rude awakening. So there are going to be significant losses. Um, The cost to convert these buildings to apartment use, which will produce ultimately less income than those office buildings produced Hmm. pre-pandemic. So I think you're going to see a lot of losses there.
1: Wow so what's your advice to investors where where's the opportunity what should people do right now or does it all is it all predicated on the Fed eventually pausing its rate hikes
0: well I think the uh, pausing the rate hikes would be helpful but it won't bail out commercial office space I think you've got to look at the more entrepreneurial funds uh, that are able to pivot uh, so you have larger funds that you know the Blackstone funds the Blackrock funds uh, some of the Goldman funds those funds, Tend to be much more entrepreneurial and nimble and they have other places to go. So they have other strategies. And I think that, you know, taking these commercial office buildings and converting them, especially those who are now buying. So anyone buying commercial office buildings to make the conversion now, those are going to perform well. And so they're going to be, there's some new funds um, that have come out that are opportunistic. There's some new ones that have come out to raise money to com- to buy and convert commercial office space in New York City and Washington DC and San Francisco, um, elsewhere, I think those will perform well.
1: Yeah, makes a big difference when you're starting with a much lower uh, purchase price. Final question, I'm a little surprised that a company like WeWork wouldn't see better fortunes right now because the traditional work uh, environment has broken down, but people do still have this desire, this need to kind of have a place to do their business. Do you think that model will emerge better from this over time, or is it simply just challenge because there's just fewer people in that pool than there might have been a couple of years ago?
0: Well, I mean, WeWork is not a new innovation anyway. I mean, Regis had been doing this for quite a while, many decades. And so what's happened is WeWork was focused more on the startups and the entrepreneurs, and that's not where the, the opportunity is in flex commercial office space. It's for the small, mid mid-size, and larger companies that want to remain flexible now. And I think also what's going to happen is commercial landlords are going to have to change about how they lease their office space. It'll be more short term. You'll see more commercial office um, building owners actually get into the same kind of business that WeWork is in with flex space. And so that's going to put a lot of pressure on WeWork's ability to to, to produce better earnings.
1: Yeah. And if you want exposure to, you know, kind of that, that third place, that third place where people might show up and just casually work, you just buy shares of Starbucks and you don't need to worry about the fundamentals in real estate at all. Don, thanks very much. It's good to see you today. We'll check back in soon. Thank you, Kelly. Don Peebles with the People's Corp. Coming up, the NASDAQ is the underperformer today as investors digest the Fed decision. Netflix, DocuSign, and Marvell are all having the biggest negative point impact on the NASDAQ 100 today. We're going to get a closer look on the mega caps next. Speaking of the semis, the SMH is on pace for its worst day in a month, down about 3%. Uh, the semiconductor is often a good leading indicator. Uh, today, it's going straight down. We're back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Tech a clear clear laggard today after the Fed's half-point rate hike and sustained hawkish stance. We see major pressure across stocks. Steve Kovac is here with a check on how the mega cap names are faring. Are they defensive, Steve, or are they still behaving like their old selves? Yeah,
7: it's uh, bad and getting worse throughout the day. So shares of the mega cap tech names falling with the rest of the market, Kelly, with those losses extending into this afternoon. Let's go to Apple shares first, down more than 4% this week. Remember, Bloomberg reported Apple. Apple is working to allow those third-party app stores on the iPhone in compliance with a new law in the EU that will go into effect in 2024. Now, if more countries impose similar regulations, Apple's lucrative app store business could be at risk. Now over to Microsoft shares off 3.5%. The FTC sued Microsoft a week ago today in an attempt to block its $69 billion acquisition of the video game publisher Activision. That deal could take longer to close than Microsoft's initial target of June of next year. Then there's Amazon. It's down as well off nearly 4%, but it's the two names that rely on the digital ad market, Kelly, that are getting hit the worst so far today. Meta and Alphabet are down around 5%. Perhaps the sign investors are more worried about those ad-supported social media companies. Obviously, Netflix
1: down sharply on some concerns yes. about what might be going on with advertisers there as well. Talk a little bit about those advertising trends. I mean, obviously, so they're super sensitive to a recession, but you'd still think those companies would benefit if marketers have to pull back. Are they really going to pull back at Meta and Google first? It seems unlikely. Yeah,
7: and it's also uh, traditional media companies. We're seeing layoffs across traditional media companies. Washington Post yesterday, for example. So, yeah, those get hit first, but, I mean, Facebook, uh, Meta, rather, just went through those huge layoffs as well. So they're all cutting costs. Uh, our Jen Elias was reporting a little bit uh, earlier this month about, you know, layoffs are still on the table at, at Alphabet, too. We, they haven't had them yet, but that's that could be a cost-cutting measure, too, if the ad market turns.
1: And, you know, I understand we still lump these all together. And in many ways, like today, they still trade the same. Yeah. But a name like Amazon, where the stock has really been under pressure the past couple of months... It faces very different issues than some of the others. And, you know, I'm just surprised there isn't more differentiation at this point, this mature in the cycle uh, with some of these big tech names between their fortunes. It just seems to be almost telling you, you know what, they only perform well in a high liquidity,
7: low rate environment. And this is not that. Maybe. But I was looking at uh, Amazon's performance last week and it was the laggard of the group. Yeah, they all grew last year, all these shares. But Amazon was still the laggard last year of that whole group. They didn't grow as much. And now it's really Meta taking on the chin uh, in this group this this year. But still, yeah, Amazon for some reasons just doesn't have the the shine that it used to. Perhaps that's because Jeff Be- Bezos is no longer running the company, but. Yeah, it's it's they they're hurting and they're going through all these inventory problems, a lighter uh, consumer in the holiday season and all, all of those issues. Yeah. No, and and it, advertising, too. Right.
1: And it was a pandemic, darling. And I was pointing this out earlier. But if you look at a, a sort of stayed company like Generac, right? Right. Right. The, I the saw the you tweet house that today. Generators. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. This company, that's profitable. It's been around forever. But when you have your shares run up the way that it did and you could lump Amazon into this category, anything that was part of the stay at home trade yeah. the last couple of years is seeing this massive cliff post-pandemic. And, and the market just seems to be in a punishing mood and, right. and
7: that's tech in general, though. Tech was, just overall tech, was the benefit of the stay-at-home. We used those tools exactly. to work from home to be locked down. So, yes, of course, when things turn the other way, tech takes it on the chin, yes. Steve, thank you. Absolutely. Steve, Thanks, Kyle.
1: Still ahead while the mega cap tech names are taking a hit, Tesla has somehow managed to reverse course today. It's now one of two positive stocks on the NASDAQ 100. There it is, of two-thirds of 1%. And Jeff Kilberg says now could be the time to buy. He'll rejoin me with what's got him feeling bullish next on The Exchange. Welcome back to The Exchange. What do bonds, China, and Tesla all have in common? Investors ran away from them this year. But CNBC contributor Jeff Kilberg. Uh, should we say you're running towards them, Jeff? You're tiptoeing. You're I'm listening. You're to fast that. walking. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know
9: if I can sprint anymore in this old body, but yes. why do all three of these uh, sort of perk your interest a little bit? Well, the old bond trader in me, Kelly, has to really take interest in the fact that we, for the first time, we really have to listen to the bond market. Everyone is so predicated; all their investment thesis for 2023 is based upon what the Fed is. Historically, I don't know what the technical term is, but the Fed has been horrible. On forecasting. So we're giving them a lot of credit. I take a lot of credence in the fact that the two-year note is at 4.23%. We saw that max yield coincide with the max low in the S&P 500. So if we look at the S&P 500, Kelly, I think the bond market, you have to believe in the bond market. And that's the thesis which is actually taking me overseas because I do see this lag, this disconnect. What did we see earlier in the year? We saw the bond yields go from one and a half percent in the 10-year up to four and a quarter. Crazy. There's a huge disconnect and a lag in equities selling off. Now all of a sudden we're seeing some calmness come back in to the market. so
1: You can I, say that on a day when the Dow's down 9.16?
9: Well, it doesn't feel good, but if yeah. you look at the S&P 500 pull up a chart the last three months, we haven't moved mm-hmm. the exact tick. Mm-hmm. It's 3, 3,882 on the S&P 500 exactly three months ago. So there's been a ton of noise, a lot to digest, but I think on days like this, you have to remain calm. I'm looking overseas at PGJ. Golden dragon the China golden index. dragons, the Nasdaq golden dragon index, and VESCO's ETF gives you liquidity, gives you exposure to Alibaba, JD.com, Neo just got upgraded today. I was a little early buying this about three, four months ago, but I think this is a theme in 2023 as we see China re It's been very hard to measure China.
1: Hey, sure, and Marco Papich told us the same thing last week. He's very bullish on China's prospects for next year. But let me go back to what you said about bonds. So basically you said that stocks are tracking the 2 year yield right now if you think that the 2 year yield's not going any higher then you think it's safe to buy.
9: In a lag effect. Exactly right, Kelly. What I am seeing, and we talked about this before on CNBC, when we saw that two-year note go above 4.5%, we saw a lot of institutions buying that yield, embracing that yield, I should say. It went up to 4.88, and now it's come back and simmered down. I think there is an opportunity for equities to really get over the opinion. And I know Bob Pisani was talking about earlier, that technical move above 4,100. That is when all of a sudden people say, aha, Maybe the bond market was right.
1: Sure. And if we get to that point, as we're Agreed. still sitting where we are, let's talk about, <laughs> about one of the more controversial ones here that, that you're looking at. And it is Tesla.
9: It is Tesla. Now,
1: the stock, if you want to argue that the stock is underperforming the fundamentals because of Elon Musk, I can absolutely understand the case for buying it. That said, does it require some kind of management change to perform better? Does it face another year of tough liquidity, you know, with what the Fed's doing here? So one thing I
9: don't do is get political, right? But I look at sentiment. I think sentiment is really important. We talk about investor sentiment. This is a beat-up stock. We just saw Elon sell more shares. Another big block just yesterday. So I think when you look at this, go back to November of 2020. That's when the stock kind of took a breath at 136 and there's been a parabolic move ever since then. So I think it's fascinating in this opportunity to buy here. If you want to use options in really qualify and quantify what your risk is, but I think owning this here, we're gonna get a lot of this political component, this undercurrent in the rearview mirror. Why? And why is it gonna go in the rearview mirror? Because it's just maximized. It seems like in June we had maximum conversations about inflation. Back in October, you know, the world is imploding. It was maximum equity scared. And you saw all the pessimism come out. Right now, it seems like Max Elon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, but it's max elon. So I think there's an opportunity. In Tesla, I think the technology will be refocused in 2023, but it's very hard to see it right now.
1: Okay, quick final word. You're also picking around a little bit in energy. Tell me where, why. We are,
9: you know, I run a sector rotation model and that model all year has been trying to find themes that make sense and more importantly, stay away from sectors that are really revealing weakness. But Which you, I would have thought energy qualified as. Energy up 55%. If you look at XLE year to date, but I think you gotta be a little more selective. So you look at a name like Valero, We own Exxon, but also look at Chevron. These are names that I think the theme that we saw in 2022 where the dollar is going, I think that puts more in the sales. And that same theme in 2022 of owning the sector of energy persists in 2023. So
1: there are some big calls out there today that saying actually you should buy the dollar, go long, and it's going to have another big year. If if – If that's the case, does that hurt your
9: energy trade? It does, but that's the consensus view. The consensus view is the Fed is right. My view from Chicago and sometimes Nashville is the fact that the Fed has never been right, going back decades and decades. So I'm going to bet on the old bond trader in me, Kelly, and bet on the fact that the Treasury market, specifically the two-year and 10-year, is forecasting that we are going to get through this storm.
1: All right. We will leave it on that hopeful note because we need it today. Uh, Jeff, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Great seeing you, Kelly. Jeff Kilberg. All right. Dow's down 931. Crypto is getting crushed today and the Fed fallout is hitting all swaths of the fintech space. We've got the big movers and whether there's more pain ahead next on The Exchange. Welcome back. Want to get to one more thing before we go. And those are the big moves in crypto and fintech stocks. Both are taking hits. No surprise
10: in a market like this. Kate Rooney is here with what's behind it. Kate? Hey, Kelly. Yeah, these are some of the most rate-sensitive high-growth names in tech, very much under pressure today. Investors are worried about weaker consumer spending with that retail sales number and higher rates affecting lending as well as a trading slowdown hitting some of these stocks. Affirm and Upstart, those are some of the worst performers within this sector today. And when borrowing costs and delinquencies go up, their margins tend to get squeezed. Dan Dolev of Mizuho is among those questioning whether some lower-end incomes, lower-income uh, Americans, rather, will be able to repay loans. SoFi, meanwhile, holding up a little bit better, and unlike most fintechs, it's a regulated bank, so it gets to borrow from the discount window. It's seen a rise in interest income, thanks to higher rates. CEO Anthony Noto also bought about five million dollars of that stock yesterday, that helped uh, helped SoFi. And we also got Block, highly highly indexed to the U.S. consumer and spending. There also some lending and trading. It is one of the worst performers within the group today. PayPal is also down. It has been an outperformer lately. It is one of the highest rated fintechs. The average analyst rating, overweight, with a price target that's about 30% higher than where it's trading today. But there are some jitters that it may be losing uh, market share to Apple Pay. Robinhood also getting hit by a trading slowdown overall this year. Kathy Wood's ARK fintech ETF down as well. And then the broader contagion fears we've talked about FTX, that's been weighing on Coinbase. Bitcoin is also down today. It's been pretty range-bound so far, and a lot less volatility in that space and less trading activity tends to drag on revenue at Coinbase. Finally, you've got the card companies. Those are outperforming, underperforming rather, uh, the S&P around fears of a weaker economy and consumer spending, as well. Kelly.
1: Yeah, we saw some higher uh, charge off rates in November, that kind of thing. Kate, I'm a little surprised Bitcoin's holding up as well as it is, frankly, with everything that's happened. We're still around 17K. You could easily see, you know, rationale for it being below 10. What are people saying about that?
10: It does seem to be really rate sensitive, Kelly. It's interesting. Some of the crypto specific news isn't hitting Bitcoin as hard as it may have a couple of years ago. Uh, at this point, it seems more sensitive to things like the U.S. dollar strength and interest rates so that really was the big mover other than that within all of this ftx drama and what's gone on with specific crypto companies it actually has really not performed too badly in the context of you know what it probably would have done a few years ago it's become more of a mainstream investment in your average portfolio and uh, it's very much traded like a risk asset it's also outperforming some of the other smaller cryptocurrencies if you look at Some of the smaller tokens that tend to be a little riskier. It sounds crazy to say, oh, Bitcoin's actually a safe haven within this (laughs) asset class, but it's holding up better than the rest.
1: Yeah, it's not FTT. Uh, Kate, thank you very much. Uh, We appreciate it for now, our Kate Rooney reporting. And that does it for The Exchange, everybody. Stay tuned with The Dow Down now at just under 900 points. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place